Well, hello there, delightful people, and welcome to another episode of Fuds on Film. Now, first task to get done, can I remember who I am tonight? <laughs> I know I'm not Scott, pretty sure I'm not Craig, that makes me Drew, that sound right? Seems legit. Okay, hi, I'm Drew, uh, the other voice you just heard is Scott. Brains! Scott. Scott! That's it, that's better. <laughs> Strangely, for a podcast that doesn't typically tend to do topical stuff uh, in any way, and also for neither myself nor Scott nor Craig cares particularly for horror films or anything like that, we have bookended the month of Halloween with films about John Carpenter and now with films about zombies. So that's odd. That's all I wanted to say. That seems a bit unusual for us. <laughs> Beyond that, yes, zombies like vampires seem to go in cycles, although vampires are perhaps have had a stronger history in literature in particular. And you know, when I was putting this intro to my head earlier, which I, I, had a, I had a point to make, it's gone now. So yeah, um, zombies, brains, something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I just wanted to say badly that no you know what let's just talk about zombie films <laughs> i am sputtering sentence fragments let's not do that <laughs> we're going to begin with a hollywood film from 1932 amongst the earliest of film adaptations featuring zombies back in the craze or craze is perhaps a strong word but back in a time in the united states history when the idea of haitian voodoo was very very popular so scott tell us about white zombie please Sure. In White Zombie, Madge Bellamy's Madeline and John Harron's Neil make their way to Haiti to get married. And on the trip over, they befriend a plantation owner, the name of Robert Fraser's Charles Bument, who insists that they hold the event at his mansion. However, he has a sinister motive, having taken a fancy to Madeline, and after having his advances rejected, turns through the dark arts to possess her. He enlists Bella Lugosi's Legendre, as I believe it was pronounced quite annoyingly, who uses arcane powers to poison her and then raise her from the dead as a mind-controlled slave, that being the zombie style at the time. It's left to Neil and local missionary Joseph Crawthorne's Dr. Bruner to thwart this menace and return Madeline to a rightful self or die trying. It is, of course, very much of its era, which I suppose means I will just have to look past the blackface, and the less than subtle performances on display... Bella Lugosi perhaps being the most restrained, and that's saying something. The optical effects and the makeup aren't going to be impressing modern audiences, so while I mostly enjoyed this, it's hard to take it as much more than a historical record. But at a little over an hour, it's worth that much of your time for anyone with an interest in the genre. Yeah, I don't think I've got an awful lot to say about it, but it's an entertaining little piece for an hour or so. I think in the main thing, what we want to be talking about with the, the kind of evolution of the zombies films as they go forward is the whole Haitian voodoo thing is very different to the kind of zombies you will see in the modern day uh, take on things. While they're still shambling about, but they're the, the fact that they're being controlled by one person, by one voodoo doctor or witch doctor, makes it, gives it a whole thing a very different complex and... It is perhaps a little on the nose having this guy being a plantation owner and having zombie slaves. It's like, eh, this is, I'm not sure this is symbolism here or if it's just actuality of what's going on. Uh, certainly a very different take as what you'd get in a more modern day thing. As a film, yeah, it's fine. I don't, don't mind it. But well, Given that Bella Lugosi's character is called Murder Legendre. Um, Murder Legendre. Subtlety. 
subtlety's not this film's um, strong <laughs> point, and I'm pretty convinced it's not trying to make any points, given that, yeah, that horrendous bit of blacking up on mm. that guy, and it's just every bit as bad as the stuff that's on display in Birth of a Nation. Yeah. Every bit as bad, every bit as quite clearly, that's a white person in <laughs> terrible makeup. Yeah. Now, you said it's a fairly entertaining little thing, a little piece. It's a little piece. Uh, I honestly can't say I was entertained by it at all, even if it's, with it's only just over our running time. The point that I agree with you most on, Scott, is the historical artifact thing. Yeah. It doesn't bear a lot of resemblance to what you think of as a zombie film now. But it's interesting because it's how it's beginning and it's your more traditional Haitian voodoo zombie. In this case, being used as slave labour in a a way like perhaps akin to the idea of a golem doing it's just like a a brainless ta- thing brought to life with magic words to perform menial tasks but oh my goodness gracious me the acting oh if had there been acting that would have been fantastic <laughs> Bella Lugosi is particularly awful and I think maybe that's because everybody else is just bad whereas he's over the top and bad so perhaps it stands out more but <laughs> Uh, to be fair, his face is deeply entertaining to watch um, because he is mugging for all he is worth. Yeah. Uh, mugging and mugging and mugging, which is definitely more entertaining than listening to anything he says or anything anybody in the film says because not a single person in this film can act. <laughs> Something which was a big criticism at the time as well, at the, much closer to the silent period then, and it was criticised for being like silent film acting. Yeah, which I can kind of see is like you, because you don't have speech, you're just trying to express much more with facial expressions and things. And I think that's there's a lot of Bella exaggeration Lugosi's, going on there. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> a lot of Bella Lugosi's mugging comes in, but this is it's been in the public domain for quite some time now. Too really easily available. It's on YouTube and eight different versions on YouTube, I think. So it's certainly easy enough to watch, and it is. Yeah, again, it's only just over an hour. It's probably worth watching if you have any interest in the, the genre at all, because. Yeah, more or less where it began. It never, it, it's like rather, it developed quite a lot from this point. Perhaps to the point it's not really recognisable, but mm-hmm. historical artefact, interesting. As a film, garbage. Absolute garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so let's move on then a little, shall we, to about a decade later, still in Hollywood, and you've seen really how massively refined things have become in Hollywood in those 10 years. Yeah. And it does seem hard to believe that in 1942, RKO Pictures was in a poor financial state due to the failure of Orson Welles, The Magnificent Ambersons, and, crazily, Citizen Kane. But their parlous finances led them to tighten the belt and to take measures like hiring Russian producer Val Lutin to run their horror unit, with provisos that each film have a budget of no greater than $150,000 and run no longer than 75 minutes. Just as an aside that's occurred to me uh, preparing for this podcast too, one thing zombie films often seem to be is incredibly good value for money. Because the number of zombie films from this to Night of the Living Dead and 28 Days Later and things, Hmm. the number of them that have had a small or at times minuscule budget and made back millions and millions and millions of dollars um, (laughs) is quite remarkable. I'm sure there are hundreds of examples that have made no money or possibly even lost money but the more well-known examples seem to have been made for Thruppin's Hapney and earned back you know, 100 million dollars so they're good value zombie films at least yeah 
anyway, I digress. Now, perhaps it was with such strictures as the budget and the running time that unexpectedly produced such a great film as Jacques Donner's I Walked With a Zombie, which tells the tale of a Canadian nurse, Frances D, hired to look after the wife of a sugar baron, Tom Conway, on the Caribbean island of San Sebastian. The wife is the zombie of the title, a pitiable woman who exists but does not live. This is certainly not what most modern audiences would expect from a zombie film, I would wager, and Voodoo Guardian Casino or Super U or Intermarché or some French supermarket anyway. (laughs) Aside, Carrefour is his name. There's little to this film that I would categorise as horror, at least by any modern standard, although you know that for me... I would categorise absolutely nothing as horror. Uh, what there is, though, is plenty of atmosphere and mystery. Certainly there, there are points of this that almost feel like they could be in something like the Agatha Christie adaptation and then there were none. That kind of murder mystery feel to it. And there's a lingering ambiguity about whether the causes of Jessica's zombification are purely medical or of supernatural origin. Yeah, so there's quite a lot of interesting stuff going on here. There are... Bits of the film is talking about the history of the island as having been built on slaves. And then curiously, the plantation owner himself talks about our history as having been based on slavery and not this history of the black people living in the island. So I don't know whether that's tone deaf or the violence is suggesting that the... Because obviously he's not a slave, he's more modern. Presumably it would be his ancestors that were bringing the slaves across. Is that like a, an admission of guilt? Something that that is a wrong that not many white people at the time were likely to admit to? I don't know. And possibly I'm reading too much into it, but there are bits going on here about the history of the Caribbean. And then there's the bringing in of Haitian-style voodoo. And then the idea of co-opting people's beliefs to help them be more ready to take modern scientific advice, that sort of thing. So a lot of interesting stuff going on there. And there is just the central mystery of it. Is this film saying that this is all medical but misunderstood? Or is it saying that it's, no, there's actually something spooky going on here? And I find that really interesting. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. And it doesn't really spoon feed you any answers, which is rare for any film, really, but um, particularly mm-hmm. zero. But it's, uh, I mean... To a degree, zombies are almost irrelevant to the film. I mean, a lot of what I liked in this film was more the character work of the actors mm-hmm. in it. It's it's just a say it's night and day with uh, in terms of subtlety between this and uh, White Zombie <laughs> and in, in acting as well. In the, mm-hmm. this film has any <laughs> yes. I say I mean it would be difficult to really categorise it as a horror, particularly these days, because there is almost nothing scary in it. There's lots of yep. questions, lots of interesting mysteries, and there's maybe one attempt at a jump scare. But other than that, it's almost oddly documentarian, even when it gets to the <laughs> end of it, and it's uh, when you actually see some of these like uh, voodoo ceremonies going on. It's not like it's actually being used to scare anyone. Um, it's it's just like, well, here's a thing that could possibly explain some of this, or maybe it doesn't. We're not sure. We're not going to tell you. Um, yeah. This is quite interesting. Yeah, it also it seems considerably less offensive than, for instance, Live and Let Die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is, what, 40, nearly 30, yeah, about 30 years later? Yeah. Um, and it's a big step backwards in how this uh, this religion and its adherence are portrayed. It's um, mm-hmm. crazy. But yeah, it's, it almost comes as a surprise to me to 
be reading a little bit about this film and it being referred to as a horror and it being under RKO's horror department. I'm like, really? Mm. Really? And again, as I say, Carrefour is kind of creepy looking. I guess he's a zombie himself, sort of. But there are some atmosphere bits, like walking through the cornfields, or the, I guess the cane fields, and there are animal skulls and things. But so there's definitely moments of, of atmosphere and it just a slight like creepiness to it. But really, it's very much more mystery than horror. But just, it's quite interestingly presented. And the yeah, the acting is such a step above white zombie. What mm. a difference they've made in 10 years. Yeah. I mean, strangely, the closest parallel I can think to it is something like Casablanca, which was you know intended as some sort of cheaply produced B-movie that somehow just lucked into getting good directors and good actors in front of it. And it became a lot more than what it was originally yes. intended to yeah. be. Um, that's maybe what happened with I Walk With a Zombie. But yeah, it's certainly very well worth going back and taking a look at if you haven't done so already. Okay, so those are the early days of zombie films. I'm going to take quite a jump forward then from 1940. We're going to jump forward a quarter of a century to, well, the zombie film, really. The, the, mm. the progenitor of all that came afterwards. Scott, let's talk about Mr. Romero. Yes, Night of the Living Dead. And of course, George A. Romero is surely the name most synonymous with zombies. And for decades, the version he puts forward in Night of the Living Dead defined what zombies were. Out goes the voodoo magic. In comes the nuclear boogeyman as the ill-defined radiation is theorised at least to bring the dead back to a form of life where they chow down on any hapless humans around. Judith O'Day's Barbara runs for her life to shelter having had the misfortune to be in a cemetery when all this kicks off, which is very much a worst-case scenario. There he, she meets Dwayne Jones's Ben at the shack, where they and a few other survivors must defend themselves while waiting for news to come over the wire on what exactly is going on and what they should do. A point of tension and conflicts for humans, as it always is. Essentially, this is a siege movie, and it's a bloody effective one. It's not got the same levels of bloodlust that we'll see going forward as the effects and budgets allowed, but for me this is the most tense, certainly of Romero's films and possibly of all the films we'll talk about today, uh, with a powerhouse performance from Dwayne Jones tying things together and a few real gut punches saved for one of the best final reels in horror cinema. Excellent. Probably my favourite zombie movie, um, it has been from when I first saw it donkeys ago. It's slower paced than a lot of the things you'll see, it's certainly got a lot less violence than, than you'll see it from it, and that makes it all the more shocking when the last real things finally do kick off, and of course there's the the twist at the end, which I, I'm, I'm even going to refrain from saying, even though it's, what, 60 years old or something by this point, but yeah, just really, really good, very tensely executed, and it's an absolute masterclass in what you can do with so little money to produce such good results. It's actually, uh, it's 50 years old, but 50 released on the 1st of October 1968 right. so it's it was spot on it's 50th anniversary and just uh, again it's another side this is another one very easy to come by because this is out of copyright because they forgot to put the copyright notice on the film and therefore it doesn't count anymore at least by <laughs> the laws of that time so it's in the public domain as well so well done Walter Reed organisation <laughs> yeah this is I think there's certainly an argument to be made that this is the best zombie film although I to, to refer to any one film as the best of anything, you're not hiding to nothing there. But certainly, mm. there's an argument that can be made about it. And it is wonderfully clinical, simple and effective in the way that, for instance, Assault on Precinct 13 is. Mm. And you're right, it is, in most respects, a siege film. Now, it's certainly not my favourite zombie film. It's not my favourite Romero film either. Although, again... 
possibly best, but not the most entertaining. And that's sometimes a distinction you have to make. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's just so it's so simple. And the the recent restoration that was done uh, looks fantastic as well, and mm-hmm. it really belies its budget. As I mentioned earlier, but zombie films being particularly good value for money. This film and it looks fantastic. It's just been so nicely restored. It's a really crisp, clean cinematography. Shot for a hundred and fourteen thousand dollars <laughs> with a box office of thirty million dollars. <laughs> That's a heck of an investment. Well done, Mister Romero. Well done there, indeed. Um, yeah, there's not really an awful lot about this film I don't like. It's again, it's not my favourite by any means, but it is just it's so close to being about as perfect because there's so little of change perfect in that way yeah and if you prescribe to the sort of steve jobs minimalist strip everything out school of uh, perfection then this is about as close to perfection as you can make a zombie film you can't really take much else out of it uh, yeah. and still have it function as a film so. there are i mean i kind of find it frustrating to watch just because i just really want someone to you know slap barbara or something because she's I mean, and I know she's like the victim. She's seen this she, horrible thing happen, but she just drives day. me crazy because she's just sitting there and is stupid. It's frustrating. <laughs> I know you've horrible things have happened to you. If you don't move, you will die. <laughs> that ought to wake you up a bit. But yeah. there's perhaps one moment that I I don't know if it's meant to be funny. Or I've ever just seen so many other films that it's what makes this funny. But there's one moment that makes me laugh, which is when Ben goes down into the cellar and sees the little girl having started eating her dad and she's just standing there mm. like blood dripping out of her mouth and that makes me laugh i think it's because the idea of a small child looking like a demon like that there's a zombie is an inherently funny thing nowadays <laughs> when in 1968 that seemed more shocking yeah uh, yeah it's again i mean if you're going to talk about zombie films you can't not talk about this one and if you want to tell anyone talk to anyone about zombie films to get them into it you need to begin with this really yes it's it's the archetypal zombie film and i in terms of what came after i suspect dawn of the dead is more influential but just sort of establishing the modern zombie film this is it yeah and it doesn't have the goriness that went on to market most other zombie films it doesn't need it the idea of these people bursting through the the doors is enough mm-hmm. but it has one upside over Dawn of the Dead, which had a considerably larger budget, but in that because it's shot in black and white, you can't see how bad the paint on the people is. Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll talk about more of that in Dawn of the Dead, but yeah, it's some odd choices in Tom Savini, I guess. But yeah, I don't know what else to say about this film. It's just, and it's one of those films, I almost feel like it's been co opted with the claims about the themes and stuff it has, and it's like about what the zombies mean and it's about fear of like black people or things like that it's been um co-opted for so many things and certainly especially as we'll we'll go on to see in the next two films george romero certainly is putting plenty of social commentary into his films but at the same time i look at this and like yeah it's like this weird thing has happened people are being attacked they have to survive i don't really see it give it any other reading at all i don't really think it carries any other reading very well i've always thought any reading of any social commentary onto any of romero's films is a real stretch not so much with this because i don't really detect any attempt to put anything in it at all it's just wouldn't it be crazy if dead people came back um but yeah dawn of dead in particular is held up for a lot of 
analysis that I don't think it actually bears, but uh, I suppose we'll get onto that. I think the one thing that Dawn of the Dead really bears up is with the idea of crash consumerism, but it's not even like you have to map onto it. It's like the characters straight up say they're kind of brainless and they're all they remember is that the mall was important to them, so they come here now. You don't have to like, try and search for that. The characters straight up say it. Yeah. The rest of the stuff I, I'm not really buying. Insert gif of uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place saying, I know authors who use subtext and they're all cowards. <laughs> so, uh, a decade after Night of the Living Dead, Romero returned with Dawn of the Dead, working this time with Dario Argento, alongside a budget ten times that of the original, colour film, and, well, a job lot of grey paint, apparently. <laughs> Dawn is often considered a sequel to Night of the Living Dead, but as it shares neither location nor character, nor indeed even timeline, it's perhaps more akin to a reboot, I guess, in modern parlance. Again, it is the early days of a mysterious outbreak of the dead coming back to life-itis, <laughs> with the action beginning in a TV station where the causes of the epidemic are debated on screen and accuracy of information is sacrificed in order to maintain the viewing figures. Not that George A. Romero is making any social commentary there at all. Nope, nope, nope. Okay, nope. Some of Dawn of the Dead I can buy, actually, because that's... But it's not subtext. It's just text text. It's very on the nose, the things that are in here that that I'll buy. Two employees of the TV station escape from the city in a helicopter, alongside two police SWAT officers, and they eventually hole up in an abandoned shopping mall, handily full of everything one would need to survive a zombie apocalypse. There is a loss in the group early on, but after that, things poodle along relatively well for a while. Until the Nazis turn up and ruin everything, which is what Nazis do. <laughs> this film also popularised Herbert Chappelle's instrumental piece, The Gonk, for which I both love and hate the film, <laughs> this being one of the most brain-sticky tunes I have ever come across. Yeah, so, again, this one's less siege-like, although there are elements of that. But it's has in common... What most zombies have is that zombies are never really the enemy, other humans are the enemy. And, you know, if you don't get along with other humans, you're just going to end up dying anyway. But for the most part, this film was about people with really, really dodgy makeup and really, really good people being eaten effects. Yeah. It's a strange combination because for nearly every zombie, apart from a, a couple that seem to have had a little bit more care, it's grey paint put on the bodies. In a very, very slapdash manner, because the putrescence of being zombies seems to stop round about the ears. Anything <laughs> behind the ears is just flesh-coloured. Because yeah, they brought in Tom Savini to do the special makeup effects for this, and I assume they mean not the face paint, because the, yes. some of the, the actual uh, Day of the Dead takes Savini's work even further. Some of the bits where people are torn apart and eaten by zombies is truly, truly gruesome. Yeah. It's really a very, very gory film. A bit, say, convincing. It's not like I ever think it's actually a human body or anything, but it is. it does kind of turn your stomach a yeah. bit when you see people grabbing an arm and eating the flesh off the arm like it's a chicken drumstick. <laughs> so that sort of stuff is really well done and the the guts falling out of bodies and things. But it's, it's such a clash with how do you make everybody look like a zombie? We'll just badly apply some grey paint to their face. <laughs> it's okay. And like I said, it's... In terms of how other zombie films would go on to look and the goriness of things, I think Dawn of the Dead is the real blueprint for most things going forwards. 
Yeah, it definitely is. For good or worse, probably for worse, because um, so many of them just focus on the gore and issue anything else. But uh, I mm. don't know if they did. I ran a poll on Twitter asking what your favourite of these three Romero films. I'm assuming no one is going to be insane enough to think that Romero's later work is actually and <laughs> matching up to these three that we're talking about at all. And Dawn of the Dead was by an overwhelmed majority everyone's favourite. And if you'd asked me that at some point, I could probably I probably wouldn't have agreed with it, but I can at least see where that is coming from because it's probably the most memorable and it has the most fun moments in it. But what I've struck with when I watched this again for maybe the third or fourth time is that it's an awful film. I mean, none of it is really strung together and makes any sort of sense. I mean, there's there's a story of these guys escaping, then there's like half an hour of just tooling about in a mini mall, and then raiders appear who the guys, I think Peter says, oh, they're, they're dedicated, these are hardened professional raiders, they're organised, yada, 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 we should be scared. Yeah, they call them a professional then, army. Yeah. Then they come in, and what are they doing? They're running about hootering, hollering like idiots. And I thought, oh, well, they're going to raid it for, like, the ammunition and the food supplies and all these kind of things you'd need to have this, like, a professional army going. One of them's stealing a bloody mannequin. What are you going to use a mannequin for in a survival situation? I don't think it's a priority. One of them tries to steal a television. And then just breaks it. One of them, he's he's about to start using one of those blood pressure machines, then he gets distracted by something, goes off, and then he returns to it later when all hell's breaking loose and the zombies are are chasing him about. And then he walks past it and goes, oh, and then goes back and straps himself into the blood pressure machine and then is eaten by zombies. What what is the deal with that? He straps himself into that while there are zombies around him. (laughs) What is? It's not even like he was just distracted. There were zombies next to him when he does it. It's just stupid. It's a stupid, yeah. stupid film. Now, it's got lots of things that are fun towards the end of it, and that's why I think people do it. But, I mean, people running around custard pieing zombies in the face is quite funny. <laughs> it's funny, but it makes it a bloody stupid film. And, and uh, look, I, I still enjoy watching it because it's quite entertainingly daft. Especially uh, by the time it gets to that point. But at that point, it's gone completely off the rails, and I don't really understand what. What the, the the thread that holds all of this together? It's why I don't understand people say, "Oh, it's it's a satire about consumerism." It's like, no, it's set in a mall. That is that is <laughs> that is the limit of your satire here. Right? <laughs> it is entirely situational, and um, it seems like the film was basically improvised around the opportunity to film something in a mall. That that's not quite how it is produced, but that's how it feels like when I watch it these days. Look, I can still watch it and have a lot of fun with it, but I think it's just objectively the worst film that he's done of these three. It may be the most fun, but yeah, it's it's bonkers, and I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I it's certainly not his best, um, <laughs> but for me, it's my favorite because I just find it entertaining. Mm. And I don't know whether part of that though is that and. I tend to think about these things and I probably think about it really more than is healthy, but the idea of like how to survive and stuff in a, uh, I blame Fallout for this uh, series of video <laughs> games I love. Um, but one of the things I find so entertaining about this film, although very frustrating too, because the characters in the film don't do it, is that they're preparing for this, for holding up in face of these zombies. And, and in my head, I'm watching it, planning, like I would do this, why do go and buy? Look, there's the they have that shop has that thing. Go and get that and do that and turn these lights out. And it kind of drives me crazy, but at the same time, I find it quite entertaining to sit and think, <laughs> yo, yeah, I I would be surviving because I know I'm not an idiot. Like these people, apparently, are all the idiots are surviving in these films. And uh, <laughs> look, let me write your script so they actually survive and make sense and the plan because I just find that idea of planning everything quite satisfying. <laughs> but at the same time, because they don't do any sensible planning, it frustrates me. 
Unless it was really, really important to, you know, get a big fur coat and um, <laughs> lots of makeup and things. Yeah, let's <laughs> yeah, say the sort of social commentary that Romero's making is spoken by the characters. To suggest that it's some sort of satire, that's like, no, you get it, you're right, it's situational. It's like, it's a good place to do because it it's wide open, it's kind of incongruous to see some of the things happening in this place. Also, there's lots and lots of material for them to use in survival, so it makes sense to go to that place. Hmm. I always thought maybe part of it is because, I mean, not being American, we don't have quite the same mall culture, if that is a thing, because, I mean, Okay, there, there are shopping malls here, but when I go to them, I don't go to it for rest and relaxation. It's because I want to buy some clothes, and that's where the clothes yeah. shops are. <laughs> yeah, mall rats really aren't a thing in in uh, Britain, whereas in America, for so long, malls are a destination. Mm-hmm. It's a place to go. Really? Yeah, yeah, I like you. I'd be there for a specific purpose, which is to get a thing that I need to get. Yes. And then I'd quite like to not be there anymore. They're not any fun. They're not bad places to be, but they're not really any fun either. It's, it, it occupies the same mental space for me as Tesco's. It's not somewhere I'm yes. going for fun. It's somewhere I'm going because I need some eggs. Yeah, so yeah, that there's definitely a culture difference here. So maybe that being a mall does have more resonance for an American audience. Yeah, perhaps. It also it struck me as quite odd, though. I guess malls were kind of a... 1950s thing really but when they when they fly across Pennsylvania and they come across this mall and then one of them says it seems to be one of those basically one of those mall things you know a big <laughs> indoor mall like, as if it was a novel idea at the time and that struck me as really odd it appears to be a collection of shops under one roof well, what could this be it's strange yes so right we're going to move on to the final part of Romero's original trilogy and probably the last Romero film you want to pay any attention to because yes. Survival of the Dead Land of the Dead and Diary of the Dead are best not watched mm. um, by all accounts having seen one of them and that's enough and I've heard enough from people whose opinion I trust about the other two to <laughs> not want to care uh, let's finish with George Romero and Day of the Dead then Scott Yes, so if Dawn was about surviving the Zombocalypse, uh, Day is at least nominally more concerned with efforts to combat it and rebuild, with scientists and soldiers holed up in an underground bunker, hoping to come up with some sort of strategy. The only problem being, perhaps due to the understandable stress of the situation, that most of them are basket cases. Uh, (laughs) Laurie Cardell's Sarah is perhaps the most rational voice present, trying to hold together the scientific efforts of Richard Liberty's Dr. Logan, and the newly promoted, through Dead Man's Boots, Captain Rhodes, played by Joe Palato, who seems more inclined to shut the whole thing down while stamping his fascistic authority about more or less at random. Uh, this all flies apart at the seams rather quickly, and before long, the few mostly sane scientists and civilians are on the run from the military, who, bar one man, go full arsehole from a starting position <laughs> of very nearly full arsehole. Now, I didn't like this much on first viewing a decade plus ago, uh, but this rewatch has softened my opinion a little bit, but there's been so much humanity as the real monster takes over the years that I'm not sure I'm in the market for it anymore. I'd say this is still a better film than Dawn. Their characters have a bit more motivation behind them, but it's certainly not a more enjoyable one. It's certainly stepping up the effects game, from 
an already fairly high point in Dawn of the Dead, but yeah, some of the things, particularly what happens to poor Joe Palato towards the end of it, just look absolutely spectacularly disgusting um, mm. and are you know, really quite impressive. Narratively, it kind of makes more sense, but at the same time, it's not a particularly satisfactory story. Uh, I would be more inclined to like this more if the characters, particularly the, well, the soldiers in particular, weren't such hooting idiots all the way throughout <laughs> it. You know, the, yeah. they needed to have a little bit of sympathy. I mean, if this was being remade today, they'd have them as being sort of broadly sympathetic a little bit at the start and then going a bit crazy as it went on. Whereas this one, they're just just absolute idiot holes from the very first moment you eat them and only get worse as it happens. So there's never really any sort of ambiguity about who's, whose side you should be on here. Richard Liberty's Dr. Logan is also just as bad in terms of chewing the scenery. So, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I can't hugely recommend Day of the Dead. I know there's been a little bit more of a, a reappraisal of it in recent times. I think more people are coming back to it and watching it and having a bit more to appreciate in there. There are things you can take away from it, but I'm not 100% sure it's really worth the effort of doing so. But yeah, it's, it needs better characters. That's the big problem yeah, I have with David yeah. Dead. Um, yeah, I mean, Joe Palato from the beginning is frothing at the brain. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's completely irrational. It makes no sense at all. Again, yeah, maybe you do it so that as things go on and they're getting frustrated with the lack of progress by the scientists, then you think, and his men are dying, yeah. he's getting a bit desperate. I get that. That would work. But no, it's just from the moment that it begins, he's frothing at the brain and like completely crazy. Like The whole point of this is to survive. What are you doing? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Um, I thought soldiers were supposed to have discipline. You're supposed to at least show them having to face some bad things before they lose that discipline, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not the point of drills and being in the army, but... It's like it's almost like this is a direct sequel to something that we don't know about. Um, it's in desperate need of some sort of introductory montage that gets you to this position that they're at when you join them here. And I suppose you can kind of fill it in for yourself well enough, but it, it doesn't really help introduce you or endear you to any of these characters. So, yeah, it kind of shoots itself in the foot a little bit in that regard. Yeah, it's it's got to, yeah, the, the Doctor character too, who's uh, doing some really creepy experiments. Yeah. It just feels like yeah, there should have been some development there. They call him Dr. Frankenstein. But at least Dr. Frankenstein in Mary Shelley's novel was trying to do something advanced scientific research and things that, that uh, to begin with before really things went wrong. Whereas this guy just seems to be cutting stuff up to see what happens yes. without any particular aim in mind, it seems. The effects work of the stuff he's done yeah. is amazing. Yes, Horrendous and stomach-turning. Certainly, but really, really good. And Tom Savini's work in this is just fantastic in this film. But the body you see on the table with just like the brainstem left, yeah, absolutely amazing. That's that, horrific. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, and there's not much that turns my stomach, but things to do with the brain can do it. And that <laughs> that was like, oh, that was just not pleasant to watch. So well done. And then the big problem is character. It's like the central female character. She's voice of reason, and she seems to be the one kind of relatable character for the most part. Or maybe the helicopter pilot, but his character's not strong, but mm. she's like, right, we're trying to find evidence, we're trying to find a way to combat this, and she's rational, level-headed, mm-hmm. and things, and that's fine. She's alone in this film, largely, though. Yeah. <laughs> There's nobody else's character makes a lot of sense, and, and just, I don't know, so many sort of daft stereotypes, too. Like, the... 
Irish guy who is an alcoholic and says Jesus, Mary and Joseph every 10 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. Really? How many milliseconds did you spend writing that character? <laughs> did you just look up your big book of stereotypes? I wonder if he likes potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I still find it reasonably entertaining. But it's, and it's, I think it's worth watching probably for the effects work because it's really, really good. Yes. Again, horrific, but really, really good. Uh, so if that sort of thing interests you at all, it's worth looking at. And I kind of find Bub kind of interesting. Like the sort of half aware zombie. Yeah. Although I'm not sure they do. I suppose Joe Bladder kind of gets his comeuppance from him in the end. But I don't know. It's, it's the worst of the original trilogy, certainly. But I think if you're going to watch George Romero films, you could watch that original trilogy of the dead and then leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the wisest course of action. <laughs> <laughs> George Romero's Dead Trilogy. Did you notice the music at all? I've heard it, yes. Not so much in Dawn of the Dead, perhaps, because it uses a lot of pop songs and things, so it doesn't seem odd, but I just find the music in both Night of the Living Dead and Day of the Dead really strange. Night of the Living Dead, it has music that... Now, I, I don't know if I'm misremembering this, but what it made me think of, and again, it's a long time since I've seen these, but it made me think of things like... Irwin Allen's Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and maybe even Land of the Giants. Those sort of say early TV serials that Channel 4 used to show on Sunday lunchtimes. And I just found that so incongruous with the mu- with what was happening. It was a siege thing with zombies coming through the windows and there's music playing that like, feels like it was from an adventure TV series. Just me? Yes. <laughs> and the other thing that I'm more confident on though is the music in Day of the Dead has that strange sort of almost dreamy music that seems kind of synthetic dreamy music that you get in a lot of 1980s films but music that felt like it belonged in something like Labyrinth and one bit that I would swear was in Home Alone um, or something nigh on identical in a film where people are having their intestines eaten by zombies <laughs> I just I found it so strange I could not reconcile the two things at all the content of these films and the musical choices it was so strange but apparently it's just me that's noticed that interested to know if anybody else listening has noticed that because it's just baffling to me that there's music that i would expect from some sort of kids fantasy story being played over people um having their limbs eaten off i thought that's what happened at home alone i must have watched a different (laughs) version yeah, so I guess this will take us to another luminary of the genre with Lucio Fulci. It's uh, <laughs> Zombie 3. Yes. Now, I don't know if you're picking up on sarcasm in Scott's voice or not, but <laughs> let me tell you where that came from. A sequel in styling content, though not story, to his own Zombie 2, itself an unofficial sequel to Dawn of the Dead. In 1988, Italian director Lucio Fulci brought us Zombie 3. And we couldn't send it back, apparently. <laughs> Though it was finished by fellow Italian Bruno Mattier because Lucio Fulci thought it was terrible and didn't want anything more to do with it. (laughs) Filmed and set in the Philippines, though possibly not set in the Philippines, despite clearly being set in the Philippines and being full of Filipinos from the Philippines, because the radio presenter talks at one point about there being an outbreak of violence in this country and then references San Antonio and San Diego, amongst others, because, like this sentence, Zombie 3 is a one ill-conceived, rambling, poorly-written mess. (laughs) 
The story begins with a group of military scientists working on a virus called, and I kid you not, Death One. <laughs> the purpose of which seems to be to revive the dead. However, when this virus escapes and begins to revive the dead, everyone seems shocked. <laughs> Who could have predicted this? Yes. We've got a virus called Dead One. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Subsequent to this, a lot of spectacularly awful dialogue is perpetrated, albeit in a visually appealing location, while the military attempt to contain the outbreak that they caused. While I would argue that some of our selected films could stand on their own, perhaps more than any other film we're covering in this episode, Zombie 3 is just a, a genre flick, and doesn't have much to offer, or to say, beyond what earlier better films have already done. It does bring a couple of novelties though, namely the self-propelling decapitated zombie head and ambush zombies. Especially at the end, they're kind of like trapdoor spiders. Not that this film has any idea what's going on though. At some point, the DJ who accompanies the action throughout talks about rapes being perpetrated. Zombies are raping people now. What? You just put that in as generic threat in your terrible B-movie. Maybe these ones do. Like, <laughs> if nothing else in this film, you are rolling the dice on what zombie you get. I mean, most other films have one consistent style of zombie that it goes for it, but not in Zombie 3. Like, in, in yeah. Zombie 3, you might be getting a normal zombie that's just shuffling towards you. You may be getting one that's jumping down from the ceiling. You may be getting one that's operating a radio station. You may be getting one that, as you say, is a self-propelling head. You may be getting one that's jumping out of a hay bale. You may be getting one that's actually a pigeon. You just don't know. They could, all sorts of zombies in this film. Maybe one's also a rapist. Why not? Why not? Yes. Uh, this film is a film that has lines like, that sounds like someone being scalped. <laughs> I don't know what someone being scalped sounds like, but this film seems to think that's a known sound. Old MacDonald had a scalping. <laughs> Didn't you learn that as a kid, Drew? Come on, we all know it. But you've got the lyrics wrong, though, Scott. I believe it's Old MacDonald had a scalping. Ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah, that smarts. <laughs> yeah, this is a strange and dull and boring film, but at least it looks nice because it's in the, the Philippines. <laughs> but again, it may be meant to be California. I honestly can't decide. I think they forgot at least twice where they're meant to be set. <laughs> and separate. Like, it's like the dialogue was written entirely separately from what happens in the film, like where the film is shot. Mm hmm. Because the two don't seem to match up particularly well. <laughs> yeah, then other strange things too, like they've got the kind of your bog standard arrogant army general guy, despite the fact, you know, he's largely responsible for what happened. Mm. And everything seems to happen largely overnight, despite the fact they spend a lot of time in an overgrown motel. But <laughs> least of this film's issues. But at some point he's it's just everything about this film is just so odd in different ways. There's a scene where the general is taking a phone call and he's been told about an outbreak, I think. And there were two aides standing one behind each shoulder, really close to him, who seemed to be there just to agree with him. But <laughs> that that's exactly how people take phone calls in the army. They they have people standing right behind them. It's so strangely set up. This film is an absolute mess and it's terrible and you shouldn't watch it. Um, Can someone make it like, I didn't please. <laughs> I would agree that this film is absolutely awful, but 
I can't imagine. I don't know how you're bored by it. It's so entertainingly dreadful that I, <laughs> I was quite amused by all the way throughout it. I mean, I don't think I was supposed to be amused by a lot of it, but um, it's just so stupid and so slapdash and so, so many things just thrown against the wall and none of it seems to make any sort of sense. I mean, it, what, I think this has got like three credited directors on uh, IMDb or something like that, and it, it kind of shows. I mean, it feels more like about. Oh, don't right. It's more like one of those, um, I forget the name, maybe Godfrey Ho, you know, one of those uh, ninja movies that are sort of spliced together from other ninja movies yeah. and random plot lines, and none of it makes any sense. And that's really this, but with zombies instead of ninjas. We'll get to ninja yeah. zombies later, but um, yeah, it's just so exceptionally stupid that it's, it's, it's worth watching once. I mean, it's entertainingly dreadful for me. If you're bored by it, sure, I, I can understand why. But I would at the very least watch this at double speed or at least find the clips on YouTube or of the, the just sheer insanity that's going on in some of it. It's worth taking some notice of it. But yes, it's absolutely abysmal. <laughs> what I'll say is that I think this was probably like the fifth zombie film of the day that i'd watched so by the time i got to this i just I was not for it anymore uh, and that's not exaggeration no, i was watching um five or six zombie films a day because i left all my preparation to this weekend uh so whether that was or not also i had actually i was actually familiar with a lot of the stupidest parts of this already due to an episode of red letter media's best of the worst in which they covered this yeah and I've seen that episode several times. So I think I probably already got all of my laughter out of it already. So yeah. just watching the whole film. Yeah, I can like, see that. Yeah. No, it's not good. I just want, you said that, you know, they're they're throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks and none of it sticks. It's because I think they missed the wall entirely as well. I forgot to build the wall. It's, just, it's so badly planned and badly made. That yeah. It's they just like it completely missed everything. There's nothing stuck to the wall because there was no wall for it to stick to. <laughs> it's, it's raised the wall so high we're not sure there's a wall anymore. <laughs> yes. Um, so, actually, yeah, watch the clips on YouTube. Maybe watch that Best of the Worst episode that has this in it. Or even, you know what, I watched it quite a lot on loop, the animated gif I put on our Twitter feed of the zombie head coming out of the fridge because that amused the hell out of me. I could watch <laughs> that for quite a lot. Uh, the rest of it, not so much though. <laughs> zombie ninjas. Well, Yakuza zombie ninjas. Yeah, Yakuza's gun toting zombie ninjas. A lot of ideas in uh, Rui Kitamura's Versus, which came out in the, ma- uh, the wake of The Matrix, stamping itself on action cinema. And, well, this rather wears its influences on its sleeve. <laughs> came out in the wake of The Matrix? Never. Uh, you'd never guess, would you? Um, of course, it's a very different genre, being as it's a low budget horror movie, it is, of course, set in a forest. Uh, the Forest of Resurrection, as it happens, a portal between worlds that the evil forces of the man, Hideo Sakaki, uh, just the man, wishes to use for world domination. Uh, hence, zombies. Attack Saguki's casually named Prisoner KSC2-303 <laughs> has escaped from, well, prison, I assume, and meets up with a gang of Yakuza types who have kidnapped a girl, the girl, Chaco Misaka. This film is not big on names, right? <laughs> Um, he immediately performs a heel face turn and rescues her, possibly due to some vague destiny that crosses time itself, and they go on the lamb across the forest, pursued by the Yakuza members and their reanimated previous victims, while plans unfold around them. Now, this narrative is rotten. 
And if it were taking this film seriously, it would be bad times indeed. However, it's not taking itself very seriously at all, so I don't see why I should either. Um, It's pitched somewhere between a cartoon and a music video, and is basically a loosely connected series of decent action scenes, cool poses, and several masterclasses from the Nick Cage School of Restraint and Understatement. It is an entirely stupid film, but it's a great deal of fun, so I liked it. (laughs) Well, it's an entirely stupid film. Can't agree with that other bit you said, though. Yeah, this film is hot garbage. <laughs> I probably disliked this even more than I disliked Zombie 3. First of all, because at least Zombie 3 has an interesting setting. This is just so... Generic Boring forest. to look at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Again, it's a trope, isn't it, that low-budget horror films are set in forest. It's the most nondescript, uninteresting setting you could possibly imagine, and it's really, really hard to keep your eyes on it, because it's like... Oh, there there are some trees here again. That'll set it aside for the other two hours of the film with some trees. Mm. Apparently, it's trying to be, or it's claimed to have been inspired by things like the Evil Dead. And in some of the sequences and some of the camera moves, I can see clearly that it is, you know, without any of the entertainment value. It's, I don't know, the acting is terrible, the dialogue is terrible. The action sequences are okay for the first 20 minutes, but there's another hour and 40 minutes of them after that, and I'm really, really bored by that point. I don't know, it's strange. I think it's just trying to be... trying to be funny and goofy, and just failing, or... I don't know. Yeah, I didn't care for this. I was kind of interested, and I thought, oh, okay, this might be good. And then, yeah, it starts trying to ape the Matrix really early on, and it lost me quite early too, because... The the Matrix had at the time some really good special effects, and that's why it worked. You can't really fake that with some choppy editing and kind of rubbishy camera moves. It doesn't work, so it just looks like a visual mess. And again, you know, if you have uh, your base and are trying to like look stylish and you the have your um, sword fights and things, and your cool poses, okay. I'll buy that for a while. I won't buy it for two hours, though. Yeah, it's definitely far two too long. Yeah, hours this film is, and that's the shorter cut. There, there is a longer one. Hmm. And there's just there's so many strange things too, and I don't know whether they're meant to be kind of weird and goofy, and I just wasn't appreciating them, or whether they're meant to, or there's something I'm missing, or maybe they're meant to be serious. But there's this really weird guy comes along, who doesn't seem apart from maybe the there's that small guy who's on like comic relief or something just running about the forest on his own wee story for most of the film. Always getting beaten up while well, he's kind of meant to be a character like him. But there's this... Suddenly, out of nowhere, appears these two policemen. Mm. Um, I think they're supposed to be um, seeking the two escaped prisoners, but they just seem to suddenly appear. One of them, they have a car crash somehow and one of them's missing a hand. Which he gets back later. And then this guy starts talking about how he he just like makes up these lies and that he doesn't know enough about what he's lying about for it to be reasonable to about how he grew up in Yellowstone National Park in Canada, which of course is a different country, and studied at the FBI Academy in Langley in Virginia, which is where the CIA is, not Quantico, which is where the FBI is like 
seemed like deliberate mistakes there, but I, I can't understand what it was going for. Was it meant to be funny? Yes, it was. It wasn't. <laughs> uh, it, it really wasn't. He was such a strange, strange character. Well, they're all strange, strange characters. I mean, I don't think there's yeah. a single serious character in the film. That's sort of the point of it. I mean, it's more of a comedy than anything else. That's what it's shooting for. I mean, if you don't find it funny, that's, that's fine. But, I mean, I, that's really what yeah. it's going for. And apart from maybe, like, the main two characters, I would say they were less comedic. They're just they're too cardboardy and too self-serious for, I think, them to be uh, serious. Yeah. This film did absolutely nothing for me at all. I thought there was a single part of it I enjoyed, unfortunately. The terrible, dull setting didn't help. But there was also something about this film. Like, on a technical level, it felt like... It's not as much as this, although there was a fair chunk. But it felt like 50% of this film was in close-up. And I just found it really, really uncomfortable viewing. It just felt like it was just... There was so, so much of it in really kind of tight close-up. And it just made me feel really uncomfortable watching it. Yeah. So, this film was terrible though, so don't watch it, is my takeaway from this. I don't really think it has anything to add to the zombie genre though. Zombies are largely incidental, I guess. No, it doesn't, and even if they're zombies, they're zombies that are toting guns and firing about with kung fu and uh, katanas, so it's not exactly a traditional zombie film by any sense of the, the word. But I guess we can play on to some film that I'm sure we will agree on, because uh, 28 Days Later is so a much better film in every regard. Yes, indeed. Now, while they popped up from time to time, Versus, of course, was only two years prior to this, zombie films had largely fallen into fashion since the mid-1980s, and it is 2002's 28 Days Later, and it's non-Romero-like Fast Zombies, what an innovation, that is credited with bringing life back to the genre. Not an intended pun, but I'll take it. Animal rights activists break into Cambridge laboratory where research is being done on controlling violence by first infecting chimpanzees with a virulent and massively contagious rage virus. Released from its cage, an infected chimp attacks a human and the infection is soon spreading out of control. 28 days later, Killian Murphy's Jim wakes up from a coma to find himself in an abandoned hospital, in an abandoned London, in an abandoned Great Britain, and nearly immediately becomes zombie lunch, but for the intervention of Naomi Harris's Zoe. The pair then meet up with Brendan Gleeson's Frank and his daughter Hannah, Megan Burns, and they're attracted by a radio call offering salvation, so they head north to Manchester, where they discover that Christopher Eccleston's army unit isn't all that they'd hoped for, because, once again, the big enemy is other humans. Yeah, what to say, this is perhaps a film that Many people listen to this will be more familiar with it, being more recent too. Written by Alex Garland, directed by Danny Boyle, so quality team behind the camera. Quality acting in front of it as well. Perhaps the first time I recall seeing Killian Murphy. Mm-hmm. Naomi Harris has also obviously gone on to do a lot of other good things. Brendan Gleeson, typically great. Although weird to hear him not in his natural accent and weird to hear Killian Murphy with his. Yeah, and... It- it's not a bad accent, but I'm never entirely convinced by it because, well, you know Brendan Gleeson doesn't talk like that and it sounds a yeah. bit strange every time he says something. But. I mean, this is, this is relatively solid as his accent is in, for instance, Lake Placid. Yeah. But it's it just seems unnecessary to lumber him with it when there's no reason he couldn't just be Irish. But And then you've got Christopher Eccleston as the have gone into deep despair within less than a month army guy. Yeah, it's just, 
a really well made film. It's visually interesting too because they set they set it in London and with you know some very very quick setups and permits that allowed them to shoot right at dawn. Got some kind of, I mean, and you could do it with a blink of an eye with CGI deletion of things nowadays. I'm quite sure, but just setting it in a an eerily empty London, yeah. one of the world's busiest cities, and so the shots of London full of just the garbage and abandoned cars and completely empty streets really really effective at the time yeah, still work pretty yeah, well now yeah. and then for the most part it's very very few people and that works really rather well I mean there are scenes with a few scenes with the infected attacking them but they're actually few and far between and they're more effective for it this film that uses a lot of restraint a few set pieces later on with the army with the infected coming in but for the most part they're used quite sparingly throughout mm-hmm. the way that the best monster stuff is again though it's just, I don't think it's adding an awful lot in terms of novelty beyond that oh well, maybe zombies could move quickly as well mm-hmm. but it's just I think the difference is too that it's it's just so well made it's high quality filmmaking from a high quality filmmaker with quality acting in it which is something the genre doesn't often get a chance to have yeah it's probably the best made of any of the films we'll talk about today, and it's certainly the most artfully made one. It's a, one of the few ones where you look at some of the shots and go, that's actually quite pretty. Um, some really nice use of shade and uh, light towards the end of it. Yeah, it, it's just really very, very competently executed in a way that a lot of the mm-hmm. other ones that we've spoken about perhaps aren't. Uh, and yeah, as you say, all the having such a talented cast both in front of and behind of the character really does elevate it. Uh, I mean, the actual script itself, if you analyse it, is probably just the, the greatest hits of Romero's trilogy sort of condensed into the one film from the, you know, bits of Siege, bits of going through them all, bits of uh, the, the army's people going insane. It's, it's all perhaps a bit mm-hmm. familiar when we watch them so close to each other. But uh, yeah, it, it's just really, really well told. And yeah, I... I would say it's probably the most enjoyable film um, of this lot, for me at least. I'm not sure. I like it a lot. Whether it's the most enjoyable, I don't know. Because I, I, again, the film we're going to come to next, I think, is perhaps the most enjoyable for me because it's perhaps one of the most the most different, yeah, radically different. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah um, and I really kind of like what they're doing there. But again, maybe that's just familiarity too. But yeah, it's this is a really effective film that. Is somewhat spoiled by its sequel, um, which I which I can't remember, uh, which I know I've seen, but I, I just it, it evaporated entirely from my memory. Um, it's got Begbie in it, and other than that, yeah. don't know. Yeah, I'm only going to mention it briefly. Just that I watched it because we were doing this, and I thought, oh, I'll see what happened in the sequel. Because again, I, I didn't have a strong memory of it, bits and pieces. And the idea in the sequel is that 28 weeks later, the last infected person has died, so. The US Army has come in to help get Britain back on its feet, which it's doing by having a couple of buildings full of people, which is the same as resurrecting <laughs> a country, but again, budget maybe. I'm just expecting too much. But then you've got Begbie's children were in Spain and they come back to meet up with him. He becomes infected, becomes a zombie. And for all the army talking about their incredible security measures, the really, really terrible security measures that they haven't actually implemented at all. Everybody turns into zombie and dies because that's what <laughs> happens in these films. Um, except for it's really, really stupid because despite running away from where the infection broke out, 
despite driving through part of London, despite going through subway tunnels and running across fields and parks, Begbie Zombie just keeps turning up <laughs> like he's the nemesis from Resident Evil or something, you know? Um, and there's, uh, because you're not expecting the anything to happen to his kids for most of the film, there's absolutely zero tension because you know they're going to get to the end of the film, but that's quite clearly what the point of the film is. So it's... Uh, mm. And others films too that if you stop and think about it at all, none of it makes sense. It's like why why are they doing these things? No. Uh, yes. All of which <laughs> is to say, watch Twenty Eight Days Later. It's a really, really, really well made film. It's one of the best examples of the genre. It's got great acting, good direction. As Scott said, there's some really interesting visual moments. Avoid the sequel. Yes, and then stop. It's hardly garbage, but it's just doesn't really ha- add anything at all and it doesn't make a lot of sense if you think about it yeah. and I'm incapable of not thinking about it. Does it have any self-propelling decapitated heads? Well no because it's clearly the worst of things. Uh, yeah, Not as good not as good as Zombie 3 then. What could be. So we're going to move on to just for reference a moment ago something really quite different in the genre which is refreshing which is a Canadian film called Pontypool. Yes. Death has come to your little town sheriff. Wait, no, not Sheriff. Shock DJ, that's it. Uh, Grant Mazzi, uh, Stephen McCatty, finds himself in for a traumatic day at the radio station when all hell breaks loose in the small Canadian backwater town as he reports on what sounds awfully like a zombie outbreak. How he and his production staff of technical assistant Laurel Ann and station manager Sydney, Georgina Riley and Lisa Howe, uh, respectively, deal with this is the heart of the most effective parts of this film, which is a masterclass in reaction shots from McCarthy and Hool, making this a tense, gripping film, even when there's little to none of the action you'd normally expect from the genre scene on screen. It has some novel twist in terms of what's causing the outbreak, although arguably something that stands up to even less scrutiny than the rationale behind zombie outbreaks normally does. But it's a very minor niggle, and in a genre that seemed very much to have played all of its cards by this point, this was a very refreshing take that deserves to be seen, even if its very nature means that it's not going to be a huge mass-market film, if only it was more like Resident Evil. Yeah, definitely the most innovative of the zombie films what I've ever done seen. It's got some absolutely incredible performances who do a really great job of storytelling without actually giving you pretty much any visuals towards it. Now, that makes it a strange film to talk about because film is, as you may have noticed, a visual medium where you're expected mm-hmm. to look at things and watch them happen, whereas this year, it's, it's almost an audio play. Uh, but it is... Yes, exactly. I was going to say, it feels like it would work really well as a radio play. Yes, um, but it is yeah. um, enhanced greatly by um, Stephen McHatty in particular's performance, who not only has a voice that I would kill to have, but has just such a wonderfully expressive face that he can really tell quite a story just by his reactions to what's uh, the audio reports that are filtering into him. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, it's just a remarkably effective film, given how very few tools it chooses to deploy, and it manages to build something quite incredible out of basically a chisel and a half a bucket of mortar. Uh, yeah, really, really quite entertaining, really good. Yeah, obviously doesn't quite have the same mass market appeal as something like even 28 Days Later would, but um, it's an incredibly rewarding watch and something if you haven't seen, I would heartily recommend that you do. This, um, you and I saw this together at a film festival some years ago, Scott, mm. I believe. This, and I've had it on Blu-ray for ages and just never got around to watching it again. This was actually the film I was most looking forward to revisiting yeah. for this episode. 
and for perhaps the same reason, slightly trepidatious about. I remember this being really good. I hope I don't think it's a stinker now. <laughs> and I'm really, really pleased to find actually it's really, really, really interesting. Like you say, Steve McHattie's voice. What a radio voice that is. I'd love yeah. to have a voice that kind of so sonorous and a fantastic voice. So, um, given quite a lot of the film is just listening to him be a DJ um, on the radio, it's good that his voice is so pleasant to listen to. Yeah. That would have been annoying otherwise. It's yeah, it's very, it's a very lean film. It is quite restrained for a lot of it, and it's quite low key. Mm-hmm. And that just works so well. And the idea of just, I mean, you do see the zombies a bit later, but for the most part, the characters don't even know if this is actually happening. Yeah. They're getting second-hand reports and thinking, oh, are we just being punked? And it's really, really effective. It's really interesting. It's not like pretty much anything else in the genre I've seen. Really well made again. Steve Mahatty's great. Um, support from his real wife life. Real wife life? Real life wife as Sydney's great as well and yeah it's inventive in a genre that seems to have not had a lot of invention going on for a long time mm-hmm. the central conceit actually makes me it's really interesting possibly completely insane but I don't really think it's any less sensible than the fact that some radiation from a comet's making people come to life and eat people it's not any less stupid than that, so I have no problem with it. Mm-hmm. It does make me think quite a lot of Snow Crash, though, with the idea of um, a linguistic virus and the Falabalas just sort of talking nonsense and things. It made me think of that a lot, and I'm generally quite happy to be reminded by anything of Snow Crash. <laughs> yeah, watch it. That's all I want to say. It's, it's really interesting. Quite, quite different from the rest of it quite a bit of funny um, moments too and also one of the strangest after credit sequences I've ever seen because I've no idea what it was meant to be for that was odd mm-hmm. but yes Pontypool excellent film um, definitely worth checking out absolutely so since being reinvigorated in 2002 by 28 days later the zombie genre has continued going strong seeing plenty of examples in film video games both as film games and as modes in games like Call of Duty and even in books, for example, Seth Graham Smith's Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which of course also, having been inspired by zombie films, became a zombie film itself. And at the moment it seems to show no signs of slowing down. As such, we had plenty of very recent examples to choose from, but we decided to go for an effort from South Korea to finish with, in the shape of 2016's Train to Busan. There's not a lot of point in setting up particularly well, it's a zombie film, you know what to expect. So, therefore, in most respects, similar to most zombie films. But with its particular twist being that the action takes place over the course of one morning in the confines of a commuter train. Another thing that sets apart somewhat is that, while it has the common feature of a disparate band of strangers forced to work together to survive, it adds in a father-daughter relationship, and not a horrible bratty child either, and focuses much of the typical... Other humans are the true threat themes into one particular individual, whose Korean mm. name I don't remember, but surely translates into English as Johnny the Spectacular Asshat Dushkanu. <laughs> yeah, story-wise, it's quite straightforward, but it is it's really quite nicely shot. The characters are interesting, a fair bit of humour in it, and the idea of just having 
trying to come up with inventive ways to get through a train when you really you can't go around you must go through yeah it's just really good and a few actually touching moments in it too i watched this last year for the first time and thought that was okay but was just a zombie film on a second viewing i actually like it quite a bit more Mm -hmm. so to be honest it's still just a zombie film but just one that i like a lot more because it's um and not just because it's set in Korea and so used to like seeing European or United States set films it's just yeah it's good I'm with every now but I've seen 11 zombie films in two days and it's kind of broken my brain <laughs> yeah I liked this when I saw it first uh, last year or whenever it was and I liked it just as much this time round it's as you say probably not really doing anything particularly new for the genre but it is knowing it is doing what it does very well Yes, that's the key. Uh, I think confining most of it to such close quarters of being in a train is actually quite a good move. I think that's uh, that really does help give it some sort of innovation, while at the same time actually keeping the 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 cost of the thing down as well. I mean, there's yeah. there's some pretty good well, there are more action scenes than they are horror when they go out to some of the stations and there's the hordes of zombies and all that kind of stuff where there's. You know, some CG, there's CG, say, train crashes and all that stuff that's going on. But the most effective scenes are just when they're sneaking around and sort of hiding in toilets and such like that. Um, <laughs> in the same way that uh, World War Z had so much money thrown at the first, what, two-thirds of that film that was actually really boring and it only got even remotely interesting in the final third where it was just sneaking around a, a lab environment. Well, you didn't find the massive tower of zombies at the wall in Jerusalem really fascinating? Not at all. Oh, look, here, here is a CGI thing climbing <laughs> on another CGI. There were 8,000 of them, yeah. wonderful. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Train to Busan, really well executed. I like most of the characters. This is one of the few instances where it's got characters. I actually felt something when some of them were dying or sacrificing themselves and much easier to identify with them than the vast majority of other zombie films which really does help it quite a lot it's just a really entertaining and well put together film and should certainly be on anyone's list yep yeah yep 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 can't disagree won't disagree (laughs) it is good i suppose it it kind of comes like it's the opposite of night of the living dead at the other end of things that was a siege What's the opposite of a siege when you have to rake out and go through rather than just like holding up and holding them off? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's an effective wee thing. And I think one of the big keys to it really is is the fact that our characters, there's the absolutely hateable character mm. and then there are just like, there are the characters who, even if they're not on screen that long, you, there's enough with how they're acted and how they're written that mm-hmm. you can generate sympathy for them quite quickly. Like the... The woman who's there with her sister and she's the older woman mm-hmm. she's getting and she's like quite kind to other people and lets other people go first and it ends up being her undoing and yeah, or the uh, the fell the, the the kid from the baseball team who's later on forced to try and deal with some of his erstwhile teammates and things like that yeah there's yeah. lots of nice little character moments on it which you wouldn't perhaps normally expect from something that is a such a genre film yeah um it's all pretty good but Really, the evil businessman guy is one of the most hateful <laughs> characters I can remember seeing in quite some yes. time. It's a really effective job of making him <laughs> really horrible. <Yeah. laughs> That's it then. That'll do us. I believe we've got some feedback on the Twitters though. Yes, quite a bit. Zombies gets people talking. First off, uh, the exploding helicopter at Chopper Fireball, of course from the podcast. 
I Walked With The Zombies Terrific. This was the second of director Jacques Tournier's three collaborations with Val Luthen and all the films have scenes of powerful, intoxicating atmosphere. The scares have dated, but this remains a great watch. Yes, which I entirely agree with. That was a very good early highlight. Right, uh, yes. Then got to um, got some tweets from Perpetual Dumb Machine at Blay Writes on Twitter, one of the hosts of the I'm the Host podcast. I think Night of the Living Dead still holds up pretty well, like a classic Twilight Zone episode. I can see that, actually. And it offers a great free entry point to horror in general. Dawn and day I need to revisit. Uh, like the idea and cast of Pontypool, but I seem to recall it lagging too much in places. Maybe I was sleepy. Maybe because I don't really remember feeling that at all. I'm either viewing Blake, so I certainly mm. recommend going back to that. I remember 28 Days having a grainy, low-lit visual style that I didn't care for. I will say that there's a proviso that comes with that film, is that part of the reason it looks like it does, some of it's stylistic naturally, mm. but part of it is the fact that they were working on fairly cheap um, kind of first generation sort of prosumer digital cameras. Yeah. So only standard definition and they needed them both for budgetary reasons and the fact that they needed something that they could set up and shoot really quickly because they had incredibly limited amount of time with their empty London street scenes. So part of that is just necessary to their budget and their means. But I can see why you might not like it. That's reasonable enough. But I enjoyed it as a whole. Uh, for me, it still ranks lower than Dawn's 2004 remake. That opening scene once she leaves the house is just... Um, I see right sit. <laughs> and I enjoyed Train to Busan a lot. Matt Toller was right that it's more action and horror, but it does a great job at that. As far as other Z movie recommendations, if you want absurd comedy, Fido, but it's the film with Billy Conley, isn't it? I'm not yeah. really sure I want to watch that. <laughs> Wild Zero and My Boyfriend's Back fit the bill. I just While you're mentioning other things here, Blake, I will actually throw in Romeo and Juliet versus The Living Dead, which is really quite entertaining for about 60 minutes, and you could probably not watch <laughs> the last 20 because it runs out of ideas at that point, but it's really quite entertaining. And it's... Shakespeare zombies. <laughs> so that's fun. <laughs> Recommendations continuing from him. I have a lot of love for Return of the Living Dead, but some of that might be nostalgia. The Crazies remake was decent, though that's less zombie and more madness. Same goes for The Signal, which I've only heard of from you referencing that, uh, talking to us a while ago, so I have no idea what that is. Which pulls an interesting maniac-style POV switch in the middle. And... Last of his recommendations, the battery, which somebody else has recommended to us too, was divisive among my friends. Didn't hook me one hundred percent, but some folks really love it. In of the deads, I felt land, diary, and dance all had redeeming qualities. Uh-uh. Maybe alone there. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I almost remember liking parts of Land of the Dead, yeah, but again, diary's I terrible. I don't see, don't see dance. But... Land's the one with John Leguizamo, isn't yes. it? Yes. And, and kind of in a Dennis fortress. Hopper is um, the uh, leader of the stuff, and yeah, I think that's right. I remember, yeah, I found land passable. I think I would say <laughs> uh, another glowing recommendation from us for that. Yes, <laughs> I don't think I've seen the rest. Um, it says Splinter has one of the most original creature designs I've seen in a while. The rest was middling. Okay, yeah, uh, extensive selection from Matt Toller. That's at M Toller on Twitter, who watches Night of the Living Dead at least once every year. I think it's. Still the best of the subgenre in a lot of ways. The black and white keeps it 
from getting lost in the gore. A budget forced mm-hmm. a focus on the characters who are all excellent in their own way. I agree entirely. That's why I like you, Matt. Dawn <laughs> of the Dead he showed this to his uncle, a helicopter pilot, who apparently was from the Drew Tavendale school of uh, film watching and informed him that the uh, during the refueling scene, they're actually putting the fuel nozzle into a step built into the heli's side so that the heli mechanics can reach the engine. The fuel can cap is elsewhere. So- I thought that looked weird. I didn't know why, but it didn't look like a fuel factor. No, so, thank you. So now they're actually trying to turn it into a chopper fireball, linking back to previous tweeters. See, it, it, it all ties together. Day of the Dead, uh, there's... A movement lately to prop this one up, but I've never enjoyed it. Training the zombies always stuck me as a step outside the scary simplicity of the original scenario. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Um, I was actually surprised when I went back and saw Night of the Living Dread, because I was always under the assumption that the zombies never used tools, but they actually do in that one, at least sort of simple bludgeoning tools and such like, yeah. um, which uh, actually surprised me a little bit when I rewatched it. So I suppose there is some precedent for it, but I don't think it actually helps tell a particularly interesting story. 28 days later, it uh, took till second viewing for me to fully appreciate this one. I wonder how many viewings it took Robert Kirkman since he pretty blatantly plagiarised it for all the first issue of The Walking Dead. Takes the fun out of the genre and adds in some effective tension as a result. The sequel seemed less well received, but I thought it was a worthy follow-up. Both are great at making you glad you're not in that very nasty scenario. Yeah, just before you, you continue with that, Scott, just while talking about making you glad you're not in that very nasty scenario and that Matt also mentioned that Maybe it's going to mention the scary simplicity, but uh, I just I forgot to mention while we're talking about Pontypool that as well as being quite different, um, it's the scariness of Pontypool that really gets me because it, not many films scare me, but the idea of, first of all, you're not seeing zombies, it's inherently scarier than seeing zombies, but the idea of it not being some virus or something or like radiation or anything that conceivably you could avoid. Mm. The idea of it being transmissible, transmissible by speech, that scares me. That idea is generally quite frightening to me. And, yeah, I don't know if they're going from that, but I just I forgot to mention that. Like, <laughs> the idea of it being that sort of way that it's transmitted is way scarier than some, some other thing that you might reasonably be able to avoid, because how do you avoid speaking and thinking? Yeah. But yes. Sorry, I interrupted you and I interrupted Matt and I'm a terrible person. I'm very sorry. Just on Pontypool, yeah, Matt digs this one despite it not being 100% sure what the rules of the verbal virus are. I'd... Nor is it to be fair. No. <laughs> I, I thought for a long time after seeing this I'd attempt to write a stage play version of it. It would work. It probably would, yes. Uh, train to Busan. Appreciated having a Korean take on the genre and enjoyed it at the time but haven't been compelled to revisit it. And his recommendations are Wreck, Wreck 2. Um, another vote for The Crazies from 2010. Uh, the, the remake of Dawn of the Dead 2004, which we uh, don't think we actually touched on, but yeah, that's actually probably Zack Snyder's best film. Um, and yeah, it's I think we mentioned exciting. that a couple of podcasts ago. Yeah. Um, that yes, I, I don't like remakes. If you're going to remake a film, make one that didn't work, but yeah. um, as remakes go, it's a pretty good one. Yeah, certainly had enough uh, twists on the, the style to warrant being made. Um, yeah. yeah, quite enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. And I assume the, the moment that Blake was referring to earlier too was the, the moment when you just comes out of the driveway in that housing estate yeah. and well, basically the world's in flames. Yeah, that yeah, that that's is a good. really affecting moment. I really, really like that scene. Mm-hmm. Yes. Also recommended Here Alone, not familiar with Dead Alive, Army of Darkness, of course, uh, Maggie, Dead and Buried, Open Grave, and Shockwaves. Popular selections that he doesn't like, 
World War Z, 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 whatever you want to call it, although the book was good. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, we'll talk about that soon. Uh, Dead Snow, which is dreadful. Uh, the Walking Dead, <laughs> my wife likes, I'm not so fond of Zombieland. Now, I did kind of like Zombieland, but again, I've never had the inclination to go back and watch it in the, since it came out in cinemas. And Land of the Dead, which I agree with, is miserable. I like parts of the conceit of Zombieland, and it was originally meant to have been a a TV series, and it was going to really like sell that whole kill of the week thing. Right. It doesn't. It kind of felt. I felt like in a film that didn't work so well. Mm-hmm. That really needed to be like a continuing series thing. Yeah. On the upside, Bill Murray. Yeah. But yeah, Zombieland didn't do an awful lot for me. But I would like to see it again, just to see Woody Harrelson obsessed with Twinkies. <laughs> because why not? Yeah. And uh, one last tweet in uh, from PC Crawl on Twitter. It's at Rockencrawler, who also seconds that Pontypool is great. Uh, also recommends the battery for a different take on zombies. I had not heard of the zomb- the battery um, at all before today, so I better get that a check out. Nope, nor have I. I'm in the same boat there. So I think that's us for today. Thank you very much for your attention. We'll be back in 10 days talking about Shaun of the Dead and Night of the Comet, just to continue this zombie-related monstrosity that we're putting towards you. So catch up with those if you haven't done, but until such times, we'd welcome uh, any opinions you may have on this or any other matter. Uh, do so through Twitter, at FudsOnFilm, through Facebook, facebook.com slash FudsOnFilm, or through email at podcast at FudsOnFilm.com. We'll see you very soon. Thank you for your attention. I've been Scott Morris, and I would you you, and I'm sure that Drew Tamdale will do so too. Goodbye. Scott, you have not sung to the people you promised them a song. No, I'll maybe do it later. Uh. West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playgrounds where I spent most of my days, chilling out, maxing, relaxing, old cool, and shooting some people outside of the school. When a couple of guys, they were up to no good, started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight, and my mom got scared and said, "You're moving with your auntie, a Dublin millionaire."